You are listening to Talking Star Wars. Greetings. I'm Alex. I am Connor. And today we're going to talk about Star Wars. Uh, we, you might have heard us talk about Star Wars, uh, you know, somewhat frequently, but we're going to continue to do so today because that's our thing. All right, I'm going to surprise everyone with the revelation. As regular listeners will know, Connor is not the biggest fan of episodes 7, 8, and 9. He's shaking his head right now. I just, I don't know if, if the viewers have picked that up or not, you know? So, but today was actually his idea to talk about the positive aspects of the sequel trilogy, which we feel is necessary because it is obvious at this point that Disney and Star Wars is not going to retcon or remove references to what happened in episode 789 as some judgmental and perhaps devoted fans have asked that they do. And we are certainly not going to opine here that it is a flawless trilogy that was well planned out and executed from the start. Um, if we did, you should stop listening to us forever. But what we do want to do is focus on those positive aspects that I think are worth expanding on in the future of Star Wars as we go forward. And uh, to your point of uh, retconning, they're probably not going to retcon because Star Wars has never retconned anything in their lore. It's <laughs> <laughs> an episode uh, for another day, but uh, focusing on the positives, I uh, I don't hate these movies. I've been to movies that I've had worse experiences with. Um, I'm going to try to just avoid any negative talk because, you know, recently we have this announcement that they're going to bring Ray back in like a post uh, Rise of Skywalker movie. So I thought it'd be a great idea to try to just recognize what worked well so that, you know, hopefully that is going to be uh, just the set of elements that show up in this next film or set of films. All right, so to establish first what we're talking about today, this is the plot and characters and themes, tone, visuals, visuals mm-hmm. present in the following three movies. Star Wars Episode Seven, uh, The Force Awakens, Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Um, rather infamously, Episode Seven and Nine were directed by Connor. Oh, uh, not by me, by J.J. <laughs> Abrams. No, Connor has opinions, yeah. and notably as well, Episode Eight was a, a directed by Connor. Not me again, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and there was not really a unified vision provided yeah. to anyone in any way for any of the movies. But that is the last negative, negative mm-hmm. word to say. So. Let us start with what we liked and is worth celebrating about these films. I'll say I have never been more hyped for a Star Wars movie than Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Just because I was too young to really appreciate The Phantom Menace, I was seven. So hype, like you get hyped over everything when you're seven, but when it's 2015 and you're in your 20s, that's when the hype starts to just decrease. So to have this return to form, uh, that experience of build-up through to the experience of watching it to the end, I was thrilled. It, you know, I still go back and find it to be a largely thrilling movie because those memories of just excitement are still alive. Yeah, I would say The Force Awakens is a well-plotted um, taste movie, generally. Ah. Uh... I would say that the characters of of 
particularly the chemistry between Poe and Finn and Finn and Rey, is a great thing to watch. Uh, the way that the voice and charisma that John Boyega gave Finn as a former stormtrooper um, is one reason I think there might be some negative backlash to how his character was treated in a couple of the other movies because he gave that performance his all. And largely he, like, to spotlight one thing, there's there are no weak performances in these films. Everyone is trying. Everyone is, like, fully believing it, uh, whether they have the written material that's sensical for their character or not. Uh, the introduction of Finn as a former stormtrooper is still one of my favorite aspects of Star Wars. Just uh, having him go from one of these kind of foot soldiers, these toys, these cannon fodder, and making a character out of him, and digging into that mindset of him being brainwashed, trying to find his own personal path. Very interesting in two out of the three movies. Yeah, and I would say yeah, humanizing stormtroopers was a nice element. You even get more personality out of someone like Captain Phasma. Who could have used more? Obviously, I'm getting negative again, Connor. You have to stop me this time. <laughs> um, but you know, visually, I would also say, even though they borrowed heavily from the Empire, the First Order maintains that sort of immediate visceral "these are the bad guys" energy, um, but unbelievably so, not cartoonishly so. And the same with Kylo Ren. He's the face of the New Order. Uh, he is another uh, well-acted and one of the best-written characters in the saga. Uh, being this sort of dejected student, this uh, just failure of a son turned to the dark side, uh, almost as if Darth Vader didn't fall in any lava and was in his prime. So, not defeated physically, not defeated emotionally at this point, uh, he's a very strong presence, representing just the animosity of the First Order quite well. Yeah, I would say Kylo Ren is the high point of the character work done in the sequel trilogy, from his struggles with his family history, to his turning on his master, to then refusing the call of the light and committing himself again to now being ruler of his own destiny, his attempts to murder his mentor... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then his uh, Force Dyad connection with Rey, exploring a new, unique aspect of the Force that had not been um, done before, um, playing with the way the Force is not only just the ability to grant people telekinesis and telepathy, but can transcend the normal barriers of space and dimensions, uh, is always something I find compelling. And hopefully that's something that we can see more of. It would be a, a perfect way to bring uh, Kylo or Ben Solo back, uh, just through their connection with Rey. Uh, having that strong Forest Dyad connection should transcend life and death. So hopefully we get to see him again in Episode 10, or if they're going to call it Rey, a Star Wars story. I don't know. We don't know yet. But speaking of... Uh, what do you appreciate about Ray? Because it's, you know, not speaking negatively, I don't have any negative feelings towards Ray, but there's this idea of Mary Sue 
perfect character without flaws. How would you respond to that with the things that you appreciate out of Rey? So I would say, despite her heritage, Rey being someone who's come from almost nothing, and then immediately committing herself to when she recognizes justice being done to others, willing to sacrifice her own life, uh, is truly Jedi in nature. She is not particularly tempted by the dark side, sort of like in the way that Obi-Wan is never particularly tempted by the dark side, in that she is aware of its existence and does have to fight against some of her darker impulses. But we're never quite worried that Rey will fall to the dark side, mm-hmm. even when she has this vision of herself on the dark side. It's kind of like Luke in the cave, mm-hmm. in that the hero must always face temptation, but in the end they will come down the path and uh, have committed themselves to their cause again. Uh, I enjoy that Rey had many mentor figures and took things she needed from each mm-hmm. without subsuming her own identity. Uh, she saw a sort of temporary surrogate father figure in Han Solo. She was um, second, the, the right hand to Leia in the Resistance as well as her student in the Force. She was Poe's best fr- or po Finn's best friend and she also learned from um, Luke Skywalker, most notably, uh, well, I, you know, Luke having to be convinced to the skin of his teeth and with gritted jaw, but uh, he still taught her what he could. And uh, I do want to move on to to that. I almost said Link. This isn't our Zelda podcast. I want to move on to Luke at some point, but thinking about Ray's sort of headspace in Rise of Skywalker compared to Luke's in Return of the Jedi. I never believed that Luke was going to turn. He's he was dark. He committed some choking, some some light murder. Uh, but you felt that drive that he just wants to save his dad. With Rey, uh, one thing that I enjoy is that by the time she gets to Rise of Skywalker, she is facing some dilemma. You know whether you know if she comes from nothing or she comes from Palpatine. She does struggle with frustration, with anger, with loss, and she doesn't have that direct guidance, that ghost of Obi-Wan showing up to give her guidance. She's she's on her own, so she's not a, a flawless being. She does have some struggle, and she does have some inner darkness that she needs to address. Um, and I don't do that by putting her in all black with one flap that opens up to be white to reveal what's inside. Even though we talked about fashion and I brought that up as positive, it's interesting to see this character of Rey all in white supposed to be this Jedi and having to, you know, have this hatred for Kylo Ren, have this, you know, confusion and hatred over what her lineage comes from. Um, Interesting. I would say a less annoying lead character than a Harry Potter (laughs) <laughs> who just kind of acts like a bitch towards his friends the whole time. Ray's a good friend. She's a good uh, hero. Yeah, Ray is a little snarky towards Poe because they don't agree with their either of their approaches to piloting. Uh, Poe is like, the Force is cheating, and Ray is like, you're stuck up. And he's like, I am, but I'm fancy, so deal <laughs> with it. Um, and also, I'm Finn's real boyfriend. So. <laughs> That's leading us into the things that we see in the sequel trilogy that we want to be there, but aren't necessarily the good qualities that are there. Um, so I think another quality then, if we're going to go back to any through lines that you can identify that are um, 
valuable in the sequel trilogy. Um, the visuals have to be certainly at the top of the list. Yeah. Um, Again, just like the acting, there's nothing that I find distracting. Rathtars might not age well, but they're used in a way that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, practical effects will always age better than CGI monsters with tentacles. Uh, but you have a lot of beautiful shots that sort of stick with Ray climbing down the Star Destroyer with um, haunting music playing in the background. Uh, her own William motif being established very early in the movie. You get Admiral Holdo's maneuver where she you know, violates every safety procedure she can, gets a one in a million shot using her hyperdrive to destroy the first sort of fleet. Uh, you get the slow motion shot of uh, Paige, Rose's sister, just being destroyed and killed in a fiery explosion. There is the emergence of the resistance fighters um, over Takodana on the attack on Maz's castle, where they uh, rapidly overwhelm the First Order. And there's even Palpatine using Force Lightning on a whole fleet of ships above a dark side planet inside a nebula. That's just too cool to not be enjoyed. That's too, uh, I don't know, just such a stark display of power that it, you know, it's kind of respected. There's also uh, the ignition of Starkiller Base. That shot of Hux staring, kind of terrified, in awe, yeah. and also... Exhilarated and horrified. Visually aroused. <laughs> 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 the level of destruction that's about to uh, uh, occur. And the whole entire planet being cast in darkness, red... Uh, I mean, the literally eating the sun to cast cast destruction, the light vanishing as planets die. Um, certainly not lacking for appropriate use of symbolism that scene in the Force Awakens. I think we keep coming back to the Force Awakens because that established a great foundation uh, and had a lot of great pieces yeah. to build on, from the character Phasma to Kylo Ren. Oh, and we're talking about visuals. We can't forget the brutal duel. Mm-hmm. Three-way duel between Finn, Rey, and Kylo Ren, where three people who are hardly experts with lightsabers, one of which is who is already almost mortally wounded, um, just battle to the utter near death in a snow-bound uh, forest while the planet dies around them. Yeah. I, uh, in terms of battles, in Last Jedi, that's one of my favorite battles between Kylo, Rey, and the Praetorian Guards. Uh, just a multifaceted, beautifully choreographed scene. And also, the lightsaber battles last as long as they need to. There's nothing stretched out, dragged throughout many locales in uh, uh, Mustafar. No, back, or there's some backflipping, but uh, there's nothing that really detracts from the seriousness of the sequel trilogy in comparison to the prequel trilogy. As the prequel yeah, trilogy uh, was all, like, themes, all, like... Yeah, the sequel trilogy does not have C-3PO's head being dragged through the Reangionosis while Jedi are dying mm-hmm. through the um, brutal machinations of a splinter faction that is attempting to murder them all, uh, while a war between two galactic factions breaks out that will ultimately kill trillions. Uh, it doesn't have a scene where, like... 
R2-D2 makes an oil slick and flies around droids with funny music. Cut to two hours later, there's a torso on fire. And it's, you know, we can see it visually burning to a crisp. The, I would say the only movie out of the sequel trilogy that rides that drastic line would be The Last Jedi. With some of the Canto bite scenes, but even then I'd say that's pared down as far as tone goes compared to some of the drastic uh, range of the prequel trilogy. Yeah, BB-8 is treated as an actual character, much more so like C-3PO and R2-D2 were treated in the original trilogy, less so than sort of the, oh, and here's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern here in uh, episodes 1, 2, and 3. So not that we need to denigrate the prequels at all, but I did appreciate that there's not really anything that robs scenes deliberately of their gravity for the sake of a cheap joke. Um, like the Porgs are there. Uh, you know, at one point we do see Chewbacca flying the Millennium Falcon with the Porgs. But yeah, he's befriended some local wildlife, and it's not like they're jump, jumping up and down on on firing controls, yeah. like Jar Jar Binks jumping on a destroyed droid to then shoot all the droids um, attacking them. I don't think anyone steps on Poodoo in the entire trilogy of sequel films. Well, maybe on Kamiji when they reach that uh, spice run of the planet, <laughs> but then it's sort of like, oh, this place is disgusting. Um, to conclude with just visuals, tone, I think what the sequel trilogy accomplished was kind of reestablishing what Star Wars looks like, and that has continued through all of the, the Disney Plus shows. There's just been a, a pretty top tier as far as visual effects, settings, um, set decoration, practical and digital effects mixed together in a way that's better than the prequel trilogy and the special editions of the originals. Yeah, and I think it also makes the Force mysterious and mystical again mm -hmm. in a way that the original trilogy had with the cave on Dagobah and Luke's meditations with Yoda mm -hmm. that it loses a little bit of in the original prequel trilogy before you get into the Clone Wars, which I think rehabilitated mm -hmm. many of those true themes, yeah. as discussed in many of our Force Power Exploration episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. Just, you know, in the prequel uh, in the prequel films, so much of the focus is that the, the Jedi are in existence and they're not mysterious. Yeah, I mean, you have Yoda, who's meditating, and sense Anakin in pain. So you get some sense of the power of the Force, but less of its almost mysticism. And I think the um, sequel trilogy leans into that with the unexpected bond between Kylo Ren and Rey. You see, you know, Rey unlocking power she, did, she had, Luke grappling with the difference between these ancient texts and how knowledge of the Force must advance and expand. Yoda doesn't show up to solve their problems, makes the mistake, and Yoda shows up to say, yeah, you done fucked up. <laughs> Learn from it, move on. <laughs> that that message is one of my favorite messages of the whole Star Wars series. It's just, don't be burdened by failure. Learn from failure. Move on. Yeah, and I think there's it explores the ways in which the Force is sort of this living entity, which its own existence permeating that of other beings from Snoke's prophecy turning out to be more literal than he expected. Uh, and leaning again into the, the Force Dyad connection between Kylo Ren and Rey. And then we get these excellent Force visions uh, that Rey experiences with a version of psychometry when she touches Luke's lightsaber. And 
sees the horrible visions of the destruction of the Jedi Order to the continued vision she has on a dark cave present on Luke's retreat uh, in The Last Jedi to then the continued strengthening dyad connection visions that Kylo, Ren, and Rey share, including her own visions on the ruins of the Death Star and Kylo's visions of his father, who, that's not, a, you know, Han Solo was no Jedi, he did not work the Living Force, but this is what Kylo needs to see within himself. And whether that's a spiritual connection or not is up in the air, it could just all be within uh, Ben Solo's own psyche, and considering the Force, it's the sequel trilogy introduced aspects of the Force, uh, which has remained relatively static since The Empire Strikes Back, where it's fully fleshed out as not just this living connection with everything, but also telekinesis and visions, and a connection to the spiritual Force where you can see ghosts. Um, it doesn't change too much. We get an explanation of midi-chlorians in... The Phantom Menace, which is only brought up once again in uh, Revenge of the Sith. But we don't have any expansion on the abilities, the psychological aspect of it so much. But then, when we get to the sequel trilogy, it's expanded so much with what Rey can do, and what her and her relationship with Kylo Ren displays with her first dyad. Kylo can even freeze things in time. It's one of his signature abilities. Yeah. The ability to pass objects back and forth, like a force hyperspace tunnel, mm-hmm. um, the dyad connection. So it d- certainly makes the force, you know, this not unknown thing, but mysterious and powerful again. Mm-hmm. I had wanted to talk about Luke, but we have an entire episode focused on the man on the mountaintop. But yes, if you'd like to learn more about our conception of Luke Skywalker, uh, go ahead and give a listen to our previous episode. It's an early one. Um, you will listen to episode 11, uh, our spotlight episode of Luke Skywalker as the traumatized teacher. Yeah, it's... I don't know. For the sake of you know, not repeating myself, I'll just say it's a fantastic look um, of an actual human character with flaws, having to deal with trauma, and not just Gandalf the White, who appears with power. Uh, Not to poop on Tolkien, but I really enjoy this idea that Luke is flawed, and uh, has to be a teacher even though he doesn't want to be one, doesn't feel like he deserves to be one, and maybe shouldn't be one. It's it's an interesting uh, dynamic in order to display yeah, and then no discussion of the sequel trilogy would be complete without talking how the music remains um, top tier, listenable, and just captures the real essence of Star Wars every time. You know, it's, it's John Williams still, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yep. Yeah. Still alive and kicking. He's like 92 or 97 yeah. or he's, 107 at the time of this recording. He's getting up there. But Ray's theme is memorable, it's hummable. Um, yeah, it's I I don't understand why there's such hate for the sequel trilogy when I watched the prequel trilogy and I can understand the hate and I lived the hate and then I lived the work that was done to reverse that just the the clone wars the softening of my own jaded 
uh, 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 values in cinema, just, you know. But I look at the sequel trilogy and I think, yeah, there are some aspects that could be redirected, um, especially near the last one, but as a whole, it's still something that I can go back on and look at as something that is almost wholly satisfactory. There are parts of the sequel trilogy we did not talk about as worth continuing and returning to, such as the depiction of the New Republic, which did not exist, or an exploration of the uh, some deeper themes, which I think was slightly lacking. But there's still a lot to enjoy about the sequel trilogy, and I am not upset that they're holding it as canon and bringing in other works to explore that period. Yeah. So... I don't know, any final thoughts on the sequel trilogy and anything we might have missed as far as quality tidbits go? While your uh, girlfriend waits to bring us dinner on the other side of the door? <laughs> yeah, my final thoughts would just be it introduces new alien species, which Star Wars, there's monsters that show up. It hits, again, some of this might feel very samey to some people, but it tries to remain true to the heart of Star Wars. Yeah. That The galaxy is a big place, far away, long ago, and go take it Take some time there. Yeah. So we're going to enjoy some dinner. You go back and enjoy the sequel trilogy. All right. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to share your thoughts and disagree with us vehemently, check out our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash talking Star Wars. Until then. We'll see you sometime soon in a galaxy right here.